Luke 17. Our text today is going to be verses 20 and 21. Let's read together. Luke 17, 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It was just last month, on September 8th, that we received the news that Elizabeth II, Queen of England, had died at the age of 96. Her reign lasted over 70 years, which was the longest of any British monarch and the longest reign of any female monarch in world history. News of her death brought many tributes through various media outlets, and her remarkable life was lauded by many, from political leaders to celebrities. She was one of the most well-known people in the world, and based on the reaction to her death, possibly one of the most admired. Yet we recognize that the reign of Queen Elizabeth was not representative of the typical monarchy we find in world history. The throne that Elizabeth occupied was more honorary to the history and customs of England than it was wielding any true political power. In fact, her ability to act independently of the desires of Parliament or the Prime Minister were virtually non-existent. And that's not the kind of monarchy we find in the history books. Historically speaking, a monarch wielded absolute, unlimited power over a people. And because of this absolute, unlimited power, they were rarely loved or admired. If you lived under the rule of a monarch, your life and death were in their hands. You would either prosper or starve according to their edicts. Everything you possessed could be taken from you in a moment, and concepts like private property or civil liberties were unheard of. Everything within his realm belonged to the king and was subjected to the king. Perhaps the closest we come to a true monarchy in our day is what's going on in North Korea. Concentrated power by one individual or family that is absolute. Their leader is supreme. We call them dictators today, but really there's little difference between what Kim Jong-un does today and what a king from ancient history would do. A king had total control over everything within that kingdom, and we call that kind of power sovereignty. A king was sovereign. Now, this should get our attention because the Bible describes God as sovereign, and the plan of God in the Bible is a plan to establish a kingdom on earth to be ruled by a king. 
a good king, a benevolent king, but a king nonetheless. And if you are in Christ today, you live under the rule of this king. We are the king's subjects, and our purpose in this life is to submit to the king and call all rebels, both near and far, to submit to this king. Christ came and established His kingdom on earth, and it is present today through His church. And as the gospel spreads throughout the world, the kingdom expands until a day where this king will return to be received by His people and to cast out into outer darkness those who resist Him. Now, this whole idea of the kingdom of God is not a New Testament concept that came to light through Jesus and the apostles. In fact, beginning in Genesis and going all the way through to the book of Revelation, we see this theme of God's king coming to the earth to rule God's kingdom. And as an introduction to this subject, I thought I would briefly show us a few examples of how this is the testimony of Scripture in the Old Testament. Consider a few primary texts. Genesis 49.10 This is a prophecy given through Jacob as he was blessing his sons and he's blessing his son Judah and he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, a scepter is a symbol of kingly authority. And the obedience of the peoples is a reference to a global rule. God would give the world a king who would come from the tribe of Judah and all the nations would be subject to him. So, this king would come from the tribe of Judah. He would also be of the lineage of David. 1 Chronicles 17.11 and following. This is God speaking to David. He says, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So I I hope you notice the, the repetitious language there. God's going to establish this throne. It's going to last forever. We see kings throughout history rise and fall. They reign for a time and then they perish. But this king, his reign will never end and the extent of his kingdom would go far beyond Israel's borders. Another well-known example is Psalm 2. This is God the Father speaking. Verse 6 and onward, he says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. 
Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So as you see, it's a picture of absolute power and absolute sovereignty over all the nations. Or in the book of Daniel, Daniel's in captivity at this time. He's under an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar, and God gives him a vision for the future. And it's a vision of God's king who is coming to the earth. This is Daniel 17, 13, and 14. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So every nation, every culture, every language, all living under the sovereignty of this one King. And I could give you dozens more about this King's reign, but I think you get the idea. And I want this fresh in your minds because in our text today, we, we are reminded that the coming of this king was the hope of every Jew in Israel in the first century. Israel had been an occupied nation for as long as anyone could remember, and they were waiting for their king, their conqueror, who would topple Rome and set them free from centuries of Gentile domination. This was their understanding of the future. This was their eschatology. God was sending a strong, powerful, political figure who would come and conquer Israel's enemies. And because this was such a universally anticipated future event, it was discussed and debated among the Jews often. And on one occasion, some of the religious leaders decide to see what Jesus thinks about this. How much longer must we wait for these things to take place? How much longer until God sends His King to rule the earth? What should we be looking for? This is the scene in our text today. So back to our text, Luke 17.20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, as Jesus often does in the Gospels, He shocks His hearers by giving them an answer that no one expected. He says to them, there is no future event for you to look for. The kingdom of God is already here. In fact, the kingdom of God is right in front of you. 
Jesus tells the Pharisees here that they do not understand the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom that God had promised, the kingdom that the Scriptures foretold, is spiritual, it's not material. It's spiritual and it was already present in the coming of Jesus and it was not something material that they were waiting and longing and looking for. Now, this certainly would be hard for the Jews to grasp. The Jews are looking for prophetic signs to be fulfilled in a sensational kind of way. They're looking for an event or a series of events. They're looking for either a military leader to rise up among them or for heaven to open up and the armies of God to be unleashed as they pour out judgment on the nations. All being led by this promised king. Now, how it was all going to develop was debated, but they knew it would be big. It would be a big war with the nations, and God's king, for the sake of Israel, would triumph. He would regather all of the scattered Jews throughout the world. He would establish his throne in Jerusalem, and he would rule the nations. Now, the Jews were partly right. God's King will come with force and finality at the end of the age to judge the nations. But He comes first to redeem them. He comes first to call all rebels and all insurgents to submit to the King. Now, the first century Jews could not conceive of a spiritual kingdom with a spiritual reign. They could only think in political categories. They could only think about the liberation of their nation, and they had no thoughts about how God's kingdom would look or how God's kingdom would advance. They gave no thought to the salvation of the nations. And so Jesus rocks their world when He says to them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, which is what you think. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. In other words, rather than some earth-shattering astronomic event where heaven breaks open and judgment comes down against the enemies of God, which is what they expected, It wasn't going to be like that. He doesn't mean to say here there will be no evidence for it. But it's not going to be this big singular event that you can mark on your calendar. Jesus brought the kingdom of God and this is a kingdom that would spread gradually throughout the earth as men, women, and children are made subjects of the King. They are brought to submit to His rule. This is what Christ has been doing in the world for 2,000 years. If you have submitted to Christ, you are part of His kingdom. And it is a spiritual kingdom. And we continue to pray for the advancement of that kingdom every time we pray, Thy kingdom come! Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven! 
In other words, Lord, continue to advance your kingdom in the world. Now, because the Pharisees and the first century Jews were looking for something else, they couldn't see what was really going on. That the king was standing right before them. Rather than their strong military leader who would lead Israel to triumph over their enemies, they were given a king who came into the world in poverty and obscurity. From the very beginning, he was not what they were looking for. From the very beginning of this king's entrance into the world, they didn't recognize him. In fact, when he entered the world, the only people who were aware that this was happening and that God's plan was being fulfilled were some pagan stargazers. They weren't even Jews. They had greater insight into what God was doing than God's own people did. We talk about it every year at Christmas. The Jews didn't recognize God's king at his birth, but they did. Matthew 2, 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, Herod had no clue what was going on. The religious leaders had no idea what was going on. But this was the coming of their king. And notice, Jesus didn't become king. He was born king. Now, how would they have known this? How would they have known that He would come into the world this way? Well, seven year, 700 years prior to this, Isaiah wrote a very important prophecy about this coming King. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So they did not recognize this king at his birth, but they also didn't recognize him at the beginning of his public ministry. We saw this a few years ago in Luke chapter 4. Jesus enters a synagogue in Nazareth, and we read in Luke 4, 17 and following, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then it says a few verses later, and he says to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the one that you've been waiting for has come. The kingdom was not going to come with the heavens being shaken and the moon being turned to blood and the stars falling from the skies like those apocalyptic visions we see in Daniel and in Joel. But it would come through the servant of Yahweh who would liberate and heal and proclaim good news, even the forgiveness of sins. But they weren't looking for that kind of king. In fact, in that same scene, they try to throw him off a cliff. They couldn't see the kingdom of God was a spiritual kingdom, and the way to enter it would be something that takes place on the inside. It wasn't going to be external, it was going to be internal. This is why Jesus says to a Pharisee early on in his ministry, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. If you remain in your sins, you cannot see what God is doing. You're going to be confused about events. The Jews were confused. You must be changed within. That is the nature of the kingdom that Jesus brings. Could you kick on the AC again, Richard? But they didn't understand this. And so Jesus comes and He preaches about this kingdom and it doesn't make any sense to anybody. They have no context for it. They're expecting this military leader to conquer Rome... And instead, they receive a Savior who has come to conquer sin and death. They didn't recognize Him at His birth. They didn't recognize Him at the beginning of His ministry. They didn't recognize Him by His teachings. Consider some of the things that Jesus taught. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now this is the king who has come to his people, and this is his inaugural address. And he's teaching the people about the characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom. So here's this poor carpenter who went around Judea and Galilee and he's teaching about repentance and humility before God. He's teaching about turning the other cheek. He says, bless those who curse you. He says, love your enemies. And this was how God was going to transform the world. But this was not the kind of king they were looking for. Or consider his parables. 
all of the parables of Jesus center around the subject of the king and his kingdom in one way or another. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. And it goes on and on and on. It's the king and the kingdom the whole way through. But they didn't recognize him by his teachings. They didn't even recognize him by his miracles. One would think surely this would get them to reconsider their position on the king and the kingdom. I mean, surely miracles would change their thinking. But it didn't. Matthew 9.35 And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, these were evidences that the kingdom had come. It wasn't the cataclysmic unveiling, unleashing of the armies of heaven, but these were signs. These were, as Isaiah had said, the healing of the blind, the preaching of good news to the poor, the liberating of people from spiritual oppression. And it was so unlike what they expected that, they, that the religious leaders even had the audacity to claim that the power that he had was from Satan. It so did not fit with their image of what this king was going to be like. They just had to refuse it entirely. Luke eleven nineteen and 20. Jesus says to the religious leaders, After they accuse him of this, he says, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. They didn't even recognize him by his miracles. Finally, they did not recognize his purpose. Unlike the kings of the nations who were tyrants, this king is the king of love. A king who suffers and dies and lays down his life for his subjects. A king unlike any other king. This king came not only to heal, Not only to preach the good news, but He came to be our substitute. In fact, just a few verses following our text today. Verse 22, And He said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. He's talking about the second coming. 
This was the cataclysmic event that they saw in the Old Testament Scriptures. The second coming. But then he says this in verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So all of those things that the Jews saw for the future, that was after the kingdom was established. That was the king returning to his kingdom after it had spread throughout the whole earth. And so what first must happen is this king is going to lay down his life for his enemies. This king is going to conquer his enemies by making them his friends. By becoming their substitutes. This is how he will conquer and subdue the nations. But the Jews were not looking for that kind of king. And Jesus frustrated them because all they could see was this itinerant preacher telling people about the kingdom, spending time with sinners, healing the sick and feeding the poor, and showing no interest in what they were most interested in, which was the Roman occupation of Israel. Jesus seemed totally uninterested in engaging in any kind of revolution. At least not the kind that they had in mind. But make no mistake about it, Jesus was engaged in revolution. A revolution that continues to this day, 2,000 years later. Not a spectacular, cataclysmic, earth-shattering event, but a revolution that spreads throughout the earth for 2,000 years. Changing hearts, renewing minds, influencing cultures, transforming nations. It's a kingdom that spreads throughout the earth little by little, over here, over there. And it's a kingdom just as He described. Luke 13, 18 and 19. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So the kingdom would start out small and unimpressive. Picture 12 men in the Middle East. And yet once it was planted and once it began to take root, it would grow and grow and fill the earth. And the subjects of the king are being added to his kingdom every day throughout the world. Consider what the spread of this spiritual kingdom has brought over the last 2,000 years as God is transforming the earth through this king. Because wherever the message of the gospel goes, wherever the proclamation of this king travels throughout the world, 
you know what goes with it? Hospitals, orphanages, medical missions, written languages, literacy, education, higher standards of living, higher standards of justice. You think atheism did that? You think secularism did that? You think Islam did that? You think Hinduism did that? No, this is God's King expanding God's kingdom on earth. Wherever the message of the Gospel goes and that Gospel takes root, there is a transformation of that culture. This is what Jesus came to do. And here Jesus was in the midst of them, the religious leaders. He brought this kingdom to earth. He inaugurated this kingdom with this small band of disciples. And yet the Jews were looking for something else. They saw all that He said and all that He did, and they were unimpressed. And isn't it the same today? Isn't it the same today? When Jesus came and He did as the prophets foretold, He healed the sick and the blind and the deaf. He gave hope to the poor and the downcast and the brokenhearted. He spent time with sinners and He ministered to the needs of people. And the Pharisees said, that's nice, but this isn't the one that we're waiting for. And they were unimpressed. And they wanted power. Bring us power. Bring us the kingdom now. Revitalize the nations now. And as Jesus works through His church today, the reaction is largely the same. Our secular society says, that's nice Christians. Take care of the poor. Open your soup kitchen and drug program. Go feed the homeless. Focus on good morals and strong families. Go read your ancient book. But we will focus on the things that matter. We will spend our energy making the world a better place. We have the power to do it. And yet, they get nowhere. They ignore the king. And they spin their wheels while they spend your money trying to save the world. And they can't see the kingdom of God even while it is in the midst of them. Now, I would like to close with two things for you to consider. I did not advance my slides. That's a map of the gospel going throughout the world. Those red areas are unreached. Still got to reach those for the king. Two things for you to consider as we conclude. First, are you submitted to the king? Are you submitted to this king? 
A day is coming when the king will return to gather his people, his willing subjects, and those who belong to him will reign with him over heaven and earth. And those who refuse the king in this life will be condemned and thrown out of the kingdom. What Jesus calls outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I ask you, do you know the King? Do you serve the King? Have you submitted yourself to this King? Secondly, the kingdom continues to grow and spread, often through ordinary events of life. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you, And yet it often doesn't come through earth-shattering events. It often doesn't come with demonstrations of divine power. There are people in this world running around from event to event, from church to church. They're looking for demonstrations of divine power. I have to tell you this afternoon that most of the things that God is doing in the earth do not come with demonstrations of divine power. It's all just so ordinary. But it's a life that's lived in submission to the King. And so don't be fooled that God is not at work in your life because you do not see great manifestations of power. The King commands you, glorify Him by going to work, providing for your family, teaching your children, loving your neighbor, giving to the needy, sharing the gospel of the kingdom. It's all so ordinary, and yet that is usually how it is. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now go and serve your king. Let's pray. How wonderful it is, God, that You love us and that You have given us Christ who is our Master, He is our Savior, and He is our Sovereign. And we do not submit to this King grudgingly as if He was a harsh taskmaster, but serving this King brings joy It brings peace and it brings prosperity even. Oh God, that we may love Your King even more. That we may serve Him with all of our strength and all of our hearts. And Lord, may we warn those who resist and rebel against Your King that they must kiss the Son lest He be angry. And lest his anger flare up in a moment, as we read in the second psalm, we pray this in his name, amen.